0: This class is on herb drug interactions. The teacher is Susan Weed. Let it in letting go. Come a little more circular by pushing back a little. Um, let it in, letting go, round and round we flow. We want to be able to see each other. Weaving the web of life. Come on in. There's plenty of room. If there's not enough
1: chairs, pull one in. Let
0: it go, round and round we flow. Weaving the web of wisdom. Let it in, let it go, round and round.
1: Please make room for them in the circle. Please help them come into the circle. So hopefully, you've been here long enough to get confused. (laughs) Hopefully, you've already been here long enough to learn that not all herbalists agree with each other, (laughs) and that you're going to hear a wide variety of things here. And that's part of what we're going to be talking about here today. You know, I have some classes, and the, the classes are, this is what I've learned about something. And then I have some classes that are explorations. And this is really an exploration because I'm continuing to explore this topic of herb drug interactions <clears throat> many of you know that I am lady Iona high priestess of the goddess and because this is fairly well known media gets in touch with me and says tell us about witches tell us about pagans uh, you know as though they were saying tell us about herbalists um, and I have to say that's kind of like saying tell me about Christians there are a great many different kinds of Christians, and there are a great many different kinds of pigs and there are a great many different kinds of witches, and a great many different kinds of herbs. So, we, the, at this point, I think there are over 10,000 different plants being used in herbal medicine worldwide. I don't think that we can make any blanket statements about herbs any more than we can about witches or Christians. It's just too broad a topic. It's too um, too much for us to get a grip on. I can say however that whatever variety of which um, someone is they do agree with two basic tenets which is the law of three is the first tenet. The law of three says whatever you put out comes back to you three times. And that's when you're a rank novice. you get better, what you put out will come back to you ten times and faster. You get really good, it'll come back to you a hundred times and very fast. By the time you become an adept, it's almost instantaneous on top of your head that you get back what you are putting out. So you learn to be very careful about what it is you are putting out since you are going to be consuming three times that much of it. And uh, everyone agrees that that all acts of pleasure and beauty are in her honor. God appears to be incredibly bloodthirsty. All Christians seem to concur that God is very bloody and loves blood sacrifice and bloody people hanging up. And so we can say that in general, right, whatever people's take on that is. And similarly, the goddess is uh, about pleasure and beauty and not about sacrifice or war or any of that. Could we invite you into the circle? We would love to have a full circle and no one sitting behind. Thank you so much. That allows us to really be with each other since this is an exploration. So um, as you also know, I have a new book coming out in six to eight weeks when I get the index done, which I'm not doing this week. That's it. I, I took the whole week off. It was hard. And... Um, It's talking about the seven medicines, serenity medicine, story medicine, mind medicine, lifestyle medicine, alternative medicine, pharmaceutical medicine, and deep medicine. And I've been presenting uh, about the seven medicines for decades. I think the first recorded time that I was talking about this was in 1977 it has been a long time I've been talking about this topic, and usually I talk at great length about serenity medicine. And then I have quite a lot to say about story medicine. And while wow, mind medicine, which includes placebo medicine and faith medicine and arts medicine and energy medicine, is as wide as the human imagination, and then there's lifestyle medicine, there's tonifying and nourishing. I have a lot to say about that. And then, if we have time, there's alternative medicine. And I usually time it out so that we don't have time to say anything about pharmaceutical
2: medicine.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a druggist. Now, hey, a hundred years ago I would have been both, right? Mm -hmm. Herbalist, druggist, it would have been the same thing. But there has been a division between them. Well, that division was not so great when I first started looking into herbal medicine. And I was told two things which on the face of them are quite contradictory. The first thing I was told was, of course herbs work, drugs are made from them right so this equated herbs with drugs right herbs work because they're drugs is really what I was being told right and then the other thing I was told was all herbs are completely safe (coughs) but 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 in the 60s that is what people and you know what there's still people saying that aren't there Mm -hmm. well if it's an herb it's got to be safe Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, you we're know, how how to make sense of these contradictory ideas and how to in myself understand what a drug is. What's the definition of a drug according to the Food and Drug Administration? Hmm. I paraphrase: Any substance that is used in the treatment, cure, or amelioration of human disease—that's pretty, pretty broad definition, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Under that definition, we could almost say that a hug is a drug, couldn't we? Mm-hmm. 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 Hmm? So, n- no wonder we're confused remember back in the war on drugs which hopefully is now over, we won the drugs (laughs) (laughs)
2: Um,
1: then they had, you know, you would go shopping at the supermarket and they had paper bags before the plastic bags, which you're not going to get anyhow anymore, so forget that Uh, but they had these paper bags and it would say just say no to drugs (laughs) and there would be people putting into those bags aspirin and ibuprofen and caffeine pills, you know and I'm going, sugar just say no to drugs. I and mean, even mention it once or twice, and people looked at me like, these aren't drugs. They mean drugs. I'm like, oh. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so, you know, I have, this has been a continual exploration for me for what? Over 40 years. What is a drug? And my personal definition is if you can make it at home in your kitchen, it's not a drug. Now that's a pretty homegrown definition there. If it grows out of the ground, it is not a drug. Psilocybin is not a drug. Peyote is not a drug. Cannabis is not a drug any more than coffee or tea are drugs. They grow out of the ground. They are not manufactured. So my definition of a drug is something that is manufactured. Furthermore, I would say that in the vast majority of cases, drugs are taken in capsules or tablets. Now, it's true that there are inhaled drugs and spray-on drugs and liquid drugs, but those are the exceptions, aren't they? Most of the time, if we're going to take a drug... We're going to open a bottle with a child-proof cap, so we have to get a child to open it for us, right? <laughs> and put in our hands some pills. Or, how many, you know, how many places do you go and you see the, the pill boxes Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, so that people can put their pills in the pillbox. So, so things became clearer to me that I could begin to understand that drugs were things that were manufactured. They came in bottles and they were usually in capsules. And this actually made me begin to see herbs in a really different light. The, in, on my bookshelf is a two-volume set which basically was the PDR for herbs in 1899. Right, Lloyd and Felter Um, and uh, it's a wonderful reference book and then there's a gap of a century and in 1999 the PDR for herbs was published for the first time and I thought oh well, how wonderful 1899-99 must have this right and it said we will show you the herbs as used and I looked in there and I was pretty disappointed because the pictures of the herbs were a little bit smaller than a postage stamp mm-hmm. and uh, because they had botanists, they were all flowers so here's burdock as used and a burdock flower
2: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> not going to help you, is it? <laughs> At all. You did not want to pick the root when it's flowering. So um, I didn't complain but I'm sure there were people who complained because about two years later I got a notice in the mail and it says <clears throat> revise an expanded edition. This time we are really going to have the herbs as used. I said okay I'll, I'll, I'll spring for it. I'll, I'll have two in my library. That's, they're different colors. They'll look nice. All right, and I'm looking in there, and there's this same little postage, postage size stamps, pictures of the, of the flowers, of the herbs, and I'm going, oh, come on. And then suddenly I get to the whole new section. It's great. All right, here we go. Herbs as used. And I turn the page, and what I see is photographs of bottles of capsules. Herbs as used. And the PDR, you open it, it says dandelion, taraxcum officinalis, part used root. The drug is used as a... Thereafter, each plant is referred to as a drug. Because they are prepared to look like drugs, right? We're going to grind that herb down into a powder so that you can't relate to it at all. It doesn't have any integrity, it doesn't have any being, it doesn't have any, you don't have any sense of it, and we're going to put it in a capsule so that you can chuck it down your throat and swallow it without tasting it. Why do we put drugs in tablets and capsules?
0: So you can't taste them.
1: So you can't taste them, right? Have you ever tasted aspirin? <laughs> Right? Most drugs taste really bad. Mm-hmm. This is the first guardian of your health, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Right? This very sensitive ability that we have with our lips and our tongue, and the mucous tissues of our mouth, to acutely taste things. The receptor for sugar in the body is a generalist. Anything that's sweet fits into the sugar receptor. This is why we can do um, saccharin and aspartame and all of those things. And they seem sweet to us because that sugar receptor is a generalist. The bitter receptor is a specialist. And there are more than four dozen different receptors for the taste bitter. Because you better be able to distinguish the difference between dandelion and golden seal. Especially if you're pregnant. Mm -hmm. And we know that women have far more ability to taste in general than men and that pregnant women and lactating women have the highest ability to taste because now it becomes super critical for us. This was very interesting to me that The sense of taste is so powerful and as I explored it a little more I learned that the nerve endings that register taste are divided and that part of the bundle goes up into the midbrain area, the kind of evocative poetic part of the brain so we don't say, you know, tastes like black squares. We say, oh, it tastes like a cup of tea by a fire with my friends in the autumn. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> we generally evoke flavors. But the other half of that bundle goes to the hindbrain. And the hindbrain is basically responsible for your being alive, isn't it? Right? It's respiration and heartbeat. So if, so if that much information is going to go there, wow, how important taste is and how wordless that information is so in order to give people poisons because by definition in industrialized countries drugs must be poisons, then we have to encapsulate it or put it into a pill so that people literally can swallow it now let me go back because you might think well, she's like really exaggerating about the poison has anybody heard of LD50? Mm-hmm. What's LD50?
3: Well, it's a way of measuring... Uh, what I, I can't quite remember it's the dosage that will... I think it, in the, when, it, when I learned it was the dosage that you killed...
1: Uh, 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 50% of the... You percent give, it's of the, the lethal, lethal dose, 50%. Dose. Uh, mm-hmm. In order for a drug to be sold in the United States and in any industrialized country, LD50 must be established. If your substance cannot kill half of the animals it is given to, it ain't a drug. Or as Vero Tyler said in one of the most misnamed herbals ever, the Honest Herbal. He's a wonderful person but I don't think that everything in there is completely honest. For instance, he says chickweed is not a medicinal herb. It never killed anyone.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, this is pretty clear. Right? In order to be a drug you have to do what? You have to be lethal. By definition all drugs are poisons. By definition all drugs must kill at a high enough dose. I cannot envision the dose of nettle that would kill half the rabbits <laughs> <laughs> or the dose of chickweed that would kill half the rabbits right? it's so we can see why people whose lives revolve around prescribing drugs think that herbs are useless a- a- unless they happen to be something like foxglove mm-hmm. mm-hmm. right, or pacific you. Right, or Madagascar periwinkle right, where we can actually find a real killer poison in there and put that out as a drug. So we want to deceive the body when we take a drug. The idea is deception. We want to go past the first guardian. We want to sneak past that first guardian and say, ha ha ha, I'm poisoning you and you don't even know. <laughs> right, because if we tasted it, we would spit it out. Now, when I was getting ready to do the raw versus cooked debate with Brigitte Mars, um, I worked a lot on the idea that enzymes from plants were important in human nutrition. And I did not only my own reading and my own research, but I also hired a researcher to find me uh, medical um, papers and medical facts about enzymes from plants that could, could be effective in the human body. And she was rather expensive, so I only paid her for three hours. And she was so fascinated by the fact that within three hours she could find nothing that she gave me a fourth hour for free and in the fourth hour she finally found a study that showed that the hydrochloric acid of the stomach destroys all enzymes that enter the body because of course we are enzyme rich aren't we from one viewpoint in fact we're simply walking around bags of enzymes I mean you can eat the best diet in the world and if you don't have the right enzymes to get those dietary nutrients into your cells you can still starve to death It's all done by enzymes and so our body does not want any enzymes from elsewhere around. Thank you. It wants our enzymes. And so between our body and the outside world is a vat of hydrochloric acid to destroy them. Which means that any enzymes that are going to be used in the digestion of your food have to be made by your body and those enzymes are primarily made by the liver and The the pancreas. The liver and the pancreas make digestive enzymes and they're grouped right up here, right? So here's the stomach and the stomach is coming right into the small intestine and wham! Here's the liver and wham! Here's the pancreas squirting all that stuff in there, right? So they get like first dibs and they get to squirt all their enzymes and bile and stuff in there because now they have food that doesn't have any enzymes in it, just as they want it. How do they do that? Do they just make like a standard brew of enzymes and it works for everything? No, of course not. It doesn't. Your body's very specialized. So what literally happens is as you swallow, molecules of the food are pressed up into the soft palate of your mouth, which is first a single cell layer of mucus tissue, which is replaced every day, and then a very thin layer of lymphatic tissues. And so you can actually with the strength of your tongue, which is a very powerful muscle, push those molecules up through that mucous surface into the lymphatic system, which now sweeps it down to the liver and the pancreas. So as you are chewing and eating the food, the liver and pancreas are literally getting seeded Mm -hmm. with what they need to know to make the enzymes that will digest that food. How long is food supposed to be in your stomach? Four hours. About four hours and that's about how long it takes the pancreas and the liver to make those enzymes mm. because it's a pretty well-coordinated system. It wouldn't work really well if it took them three hours then they had to sit there like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> holding on to them. In fact that can give you pancreatitis if the pancreas has to hold on to those things they want to be squirting them out there, mm. right. So what happens when we take a drug that we didn't taste? Your stomach's not ready for it. The stomach's ready for it. The stomach opens up the capsule or opens up the thing. But when it gets to the small intestine, you don't have any enzymes to digest it, which is just what we want. We don't want you digesting your drugs. Once you've digested your drug, it doesn't work anymore. You understand that, right? So, oh, well, I took an antibiotic once, it's still in my body. I'm like, if it was still in your body, you would have only had to take it once, right? Right. You have to take drugs just once? No. You have to take them
3: several
1: times. So if you're taking like a statin drug, you just take it once? You have to take it every day? Because it's cleared out of your body every day, right? Because eventually you do digest it. But if it was digested immediately, if it was digested within... That first five or six hours, then you'd have to take statin three times a day, right? And there are drugs that are digested that quickly, right? Mm -hmm. Certain antibiotics that you have to take every eight hours. Mm -hmm. So this works great for drugs. We do not want to taste drugs. We want to put them in capsules. We want to put them in tablets. We want to get them down into the small intestine where they can get into the bloodstream without being digested. Because digestion will get rid of them. Digestion means I am going to turn you from something else into me. And if you are not good enough to be me, I am going to piss you out. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what we do to our drugs. So what happens to an herb now that has been powdered, put into a capsule, and swallowed? Same Same thing, right? same thing. There's a plant that's been used for over 3,000 years that we know of and they claim longer in China um, especially for people with breathing difficulties and it's called ephedra Mm -hmm. right, ma wong a very similar plant grows um, in Utah Mm -hmm. where it's called Mormon tea, it's also ephedra right Mm -hmm. right and do we have problems in China over 3,000 years of people dropping dead from using ma wong It's just considered a dangerous herb. No, no. No, it's actually considered a pretty benign herb. just for young people and old people and everybody. How about the Mormons? The Mormons really restrict who can drink ephedra.
2: No,
1: No. pregnant women drink it. Kids drink it. Everybody. They a lot of people die. Mm -hmm. So, have you heard that ephedra killed people? And it did. How? Powdered and encapsulated. Want to make an herb as drug-like and as dangerous as possible, powder it and put it in a capsule. And at that point you could very well have what I call a drug-drug interaction. Because that herb contains hundreds of compounds. Most of which are actually helpful to your body a few of which science calls active ingredients and Those active ingredients are the poisons right they're the alkaloids they're the glycosides they're the 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 volatiles right they're the things that can really mess you up so suddenly bam here's all these compounds in your blood and they have not been acted on and the right enzymes aren't there for them but the liver you know that blood goes through your liver every hour every drop of blood in your body is going through your liver every single hour wham, 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 wham wham, really fast right so the liver gets onto it and says I, I, I see you right? and it starts making enzymes to get rid of it what is it going to focus on it can't focus on the hundreds of compounds in there it's going to focus on the active ingredients it's going to focus on the poisons so the liver is going to start pulling right collecting out of the bloodstream the active ingredient the poisons Mm -hmm. so that it can neutralize them right meanwhile that can cause damage because we're no longer getting what every teacher in herbalism I have ever had from the first to the last one I ever have I'm sure will tell me that the great thing about herbs and how they're really different from drugs is that herbs are synergistic. Have you heard that word? Mm -hmm. Anybody ever told you that herbs are synergistic? Mm -hmm. Everybody ever told you that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts? Mm -hmm. Is that one of the reasons we're herbalists? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because We've been taught this and because we believe this, we don't just believe it, we see it happening. We see the difference between a partial and a whole. And we understand that the whole herb has a whole effect on people. I taught a class about Hypericum. There were about 40 people in that class. And I asked the people in that class, who saw clients? And interestingly enough, everybody did. So let me ask you, who hears these clients? Mm-hmm. And just call out what your, about how many clients is your client base? 50, 100, couple hundred? 10, a, day,
2: 10, a
1: 10, yeah. 10, 10, a day. No, overall, your whole client base. Like the number of clients you would see in a year, let's Maybe say. 20. Sorry? Maybe 20. Maybe 20 in a year. But no, yeah. Right? Anybody else? I would say a couple
2: thousand.
1: A couple thousand? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anybody else who sees people or interacts with people like this? Say? About 1,500,
2: 2,000.
1: Yeah. Anybody else?
3: I'm transitioning from the readings to herbal readings. So I'm still new, but I'm, I'm carrying it over. Yeah. So yeah. it's very really different because it's
1: you know, 10. Yeah. Anybody else? Few, a few. A mm-hmm. few? How often do you see interactions between drugs and herbs? Any of you can answer it any time. You're, you're nodding. Does that mean you see a lot of interactions between drugs and herbs? No. no. I've been asking this question for over a year and I have yet to find anybody who has seen a single interaction between an herb and a drug. Mm-hmm. And this especially includes hypericum. Now, at that class, Mm -hmm. right, and each of those people saw about 100 over the course of a year. So we represented about 4,000 people. And I said, who's seen an interaction between Hypericum? And especially, we are told that Hypericum is going to interact with a variety of things, right? Mm -hmm. What kinds of things are we told Hypericum is going to interact with? Birth control pills. SSRIs. What?
2: SSRIs.
1: SSRIs. Surgery. What? Before surgery. Before surgery, yeah. Uh-huh. So I specifically asked, and there was only one person in the room who answered yes. And we all kind of turned to that person kind of like iron filings, you know. <laughs> 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 uh, and I said to her, how are you using Hypericum? She said, powdered in capsules.
2: Uh-huh.
1: All the rest of us were using Hypericum tincture and hypericum oil made from the fresh plant. Now let me tell you a story insofar as I know it and if anybody has any further information on this I'm always eager to hear that. Hypericum perforatum contains a variety of active ingredients. Hypericin, pseudohypericin, hyperflorin are some of the ones that are most talked about and um depending on where you are one or more of those might it might be standardized to that different in Europe than in the United States those compounds are very powerful antivirals they're some of the most powerful antivirals known and it, extracted, concentrated, and purified, they become drugs that we have actually tested um, throughout the entire setting of drug testing. We've tested them in petri dishes against a variety of viral agents and they kill them all, and then we have tested them in small animals that we have injected with viruses and they kill them all, and larger animals, and it's even gone to human studies because these active alkaloids in um, I call it St. Joan's wort because I'm not a b- very big fan of John uh, <laughs> who was a woman hater right? and a lot of his legacy still hangs around and Joan after all um, well what a woman Golly. <laughs> so um, these active ingredients can actually kill um, HIV And so they went all the way, they went to primate studies and it worked there and so they went to human studies. But it turned out that the single active piece that kills the virus is the piece that causes sun sensitivity. Now I use hypericum oil as a sunscreen.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I use it to prevent sunburns. Anybody else? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You find it effective? Very effective and it doesn't hurt the coral. <laughs> very, very effective. As a matter of fact, people are starting to tell me, and I noticed this too, but I didn't want to say it, um, that the more you use it, the less you have to use it. It's like it trains your skin to be okay in the sun. It's really interesting effect that it has and it does not interfere with your body's ability to make vitamin d exactly so you don't burn but you still make vitamin d which is the whole problem with sunscreen is you're not making vitamin d Mm
2: -hmm.
1: so isn't this interesting that we have a plant that in its crude form and that's what the chemists would say, right? The crude form of the plant. <laughs> right. Simply macerated in oil not only prevents sunburn but it is one of the best applications against burns and that was one of the original things that I learned about it and that's why I decided to call it St. Joan's wort because I figured Joan knew a whole lot more about burning than John did. <laughs> 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 Uh, You know, she was a a teenager, she was 15 or 16 years old when she was burned. And she was burned as a heretic because she said that God spoke to her. And she's actually literally tied, you know, uh, to the stake with all this firewood at her feet. And here's the person with the torch who says to her, Joan, all you have to do is say God didn't speak to you and we won't burn you. And she says, God spoke to me like the fire. Did you have that much hot thumb when you were 15? Mm -hmm. God spoke to me like the fire. Yeah. St. Joan's wort. Yeah. (laughs) All right, Joan. Go for it, right? But here we we have that kind of whoa, what is going on here? Where we begin to realize that I started by saying, well, there's 10,000 different herbs, but we even come to one plant. And we can begin to see the many, many different ways that that plant can be. And that if a book says, Hypericum perforatum does this, we don't know anything. If a book says, Hypericum perforatum interacts with this drug in this way, we don't know anything, do we? We don't really know. Would you be willing to be part of our circle? Yeah, yeah. we want everybody in the circle. Is that okay? You can get up and leave at any time. You're not, you, know, you don't have to like be part of anything, just the circle. That's great. Thank you so much. You. Oh, we're so happy to have you here. Thanks for coming. Like, leave whenever you want to. It's absolutely fine. Right. It's a conference. We're all totally fine with leaving. Right. As what I tell my students, you go to a conference, I say... You, there's three workshops you go one third middle third last third you're not there to learn about this that the, the teacher is teaching you learn you're there to learn about who you want to learn with All right, so you don't need to finish the class it's fine right. so we start to see wow we have a plant and people are making these generalized remarks about the plant and we think they're telling us something And we don't really know what they're telling us at all. For a very short period of time, I worked with the National Institutes of Health, Complementary Alternative Medicine. Mm -hmm. And it was a very short amount of time because they said, let's study Dong Quai. And I said, that's a great idea. And they said, what's the active ingredient in Dong Quai? We'll extract that and inject it under the skins of mice and see what happens. And I said, no. And after I said no about six times, they said, we don't need you, goodbye. Mm-hmm. Because they're not, they were not interested in studying plants. Mm-hmm. They actually did not have the faintest interest in studying plants. Mm-hmm. The closest that they were willing to study was a standardized tincture mm-hmm. or a dried powdered herb in a capsule. And if that could be standardized so much, the better. And I, and I just kept saying to them, but this, is, this is not herbal medicine. You're not giving us any valid information about herbs or plants or herbal medicine here. In fact, what you're doing, I think, is confusing people. So I have very specifically interfaced all of those things that we mentioned with hypericum with hypericum tincture and not seen any interactions The one place where I would not use hypericum tincture is someone who has an organ transplant. Why does hypericum seem to have this interactive effect? It's a question we need to ask ourselves anytime we're being told that an herb is going to interact with drugs. We want to ask ourselves, okay, how's that happening? Is this like some little Pac-Man thing in your blood and the drug and the herb are getting together and they become like super Pac-Man? No. So far as we know, Hypericum improves how well the liver functions. It especially improves the liver's ability to clear drugs. Oops. (laughs) Oops. so now we come to yet a more interesting part right so are we going to tell people don't take hypericum because it makes your liver healthy take the drug instead this is what we're being told to do isn't it right in every every book that i have read what it says is if the person is taking this drug they should not take the herb Right? Are there any books out there that say if the person is taking this drug it would be better if they took this herb? No, no. This herb moderates blood sugar, you're a type 2 diabetic, leave this herb alone. Yes? You've seen this? Over and over and over again. Right? So that basically what we're being told is that anything you do that could make you healthy is forbidden. <laughs> and only the things that will injure your health are going to be allowed and somehow we're being asked to believe that that is safer and the reason it's safer well quite a while ago I gave a very big talk on menopause at the Toronto Opera House. There were 1100 women there, It was a panel discussion, there was the female MD who thought that every woman should be on hormones from the age of 45 on. There was the the middle-of-the-road woman who thought some women could benefit from hormones but most women couldn't and then there was (laughs) me. I had had a run-in with the, the MD in the toilet before the thing in which I really had to control myself not to spoil the whole show because she was complaining to me that the Canadian government would not allow her to import the calcium supplement that she wanted for her children who were aged 2 and 4 who she was forcing to be vegan. I... P- great measure of self-control (laughs) was required to like, so when, you know, we each had half an hour to kind of strut our stuff, and then we each had 10 minutes to say why the other two were full of it. And then... And then, and then the audience got to ask us questions. And so we were, you know, this is the typical setup. We're sitting seated at the table and we each have a microphone and a pad and a pencil and a glass of water and the carafe. You know, you've seen it a million times. There we are sitting there on that stage in the Toronto Opera House. And the first questions that come up like any of the three of us could have answered, really kind of pretty easy questions. And then a woman comes up to the microphone and she literally has a list with her. And she says, I want to know about black co I want to know. Know when to harvest it I want to know how to prepare it I want to know what the dose is I want to know about wild yam I want to know how to get it I want to know how to use it I to, and she's like really you know going through this stuff and the MD is sitting directly next to me and she takes my microphone and we each have a microphone she takes my microphone because obviously she's not going to answer those questions now is she and neither is the other woman going to answer it's moi is going to answer those questions, right? So she takes my microphone. She says, I will not allow Susan to answer those questions. Oh. Oh. She says, Those are crude botanicals. No. No. And you have no idea how much active ingredient is any of those. And you're just going to kill yourself. Oh. And she handed the microphone back to me. And you just your Right? And I looked at her and I said, thank you very much. Your point is very well taken. Um, I know that as um, a really well-informed obstetrician and gynecologist that you monitor the amount of parsley um, and basil uh, that your patients consume since both are known abortifacients. Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> nobody ever told her basically oh, parsley composition oh why <laughs> you gotta stuff the parsley up there eating it won't do it <laughs> I wasn't about to tell her that <laughs> oh those APACAE Ooh. <laughs> so, so there's the scientific view right you can't use crude botanicals because you can't Measure. control them, Measure. right? Measure is part of controlling. So I, I also began to really get it that drugs, any one drug is an individual molecule with a direction of action if I give you a drug to lower your blood pressure by golly, by gosh your blood pressure is going down I don't care if it goes down so far that you stand up, crash to the floor break your head open and die I'm lowering your blood pressure right? because that's what that drug is going to do whereas if I say oh, you have blood pressure problems well, Hawthorne is a wonderful ally to the heart and it's very adaptogenic I well, will it make my blood pressure go up or down and my answer is yes
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes it will make your blood pressure go up or down mm-hmm. whichever you need yeah. because the herb does not have a direction of action because it's not one single purified thing it is global in its action. So it can go up, it can go down, it can go east, it can go west, it can go south, it can go north, it can go in any direction. And I remember back to native people who taught me who said well if you want the herb to be really effective what you have to do is you have to go and talk to it for months before you harvest it and tell it what you're going to be harvesting it for and better yet if you're harvesting it for a particular person that person should go and hang out with the plant and then when you harvest the plant that plant has made the compounds that are needed for that person and that situation and I thought that was a little woo-woo but the more I work with plants the more I understand it's not that plants really do have That variation and that not only can we say well there's hypericum perforatum and then there's dried and then there's fresh and there's capsules and there's tincture and there's oil and those are different but we can even now make a finer distinction and say there's the hypericum that grows there on the cliff and there's the hypericum that's growing here in the horse pasture. Mm In fact, 500 years ago, throughout Europe, those plants would have had different names because the herbalist recognized that the terror of the plant is very important. They didn't have our kind of science-based, what kinds of things does it contain? Right. They were more looking at the things we overlook, which is this hypericum that's growing on this cliff is really struggling far more than the hypericum that's growing down in the horse pasture. And what do we know about plants that struggle? They don't make
2: good stronger. Stronger.
1: They're stronger? Mm-hmm. Oh. They make more medicinal compounds. Because, after all, why are they making medicinal compounds? Not because they think, some person is going to come and pick me and kill. No, why are they making medicinal compounds? Why are they making poisons? For, For protection, right? To kill insects, right? To, to stay alive. And so the more the plant is struggling, the more harsh the environment, the more of those compounds the plant is going to make where's the plant that's down there in the pasture and it's got enough water and it gets sort you of know, a little dump from the horse now and then so it's pretty fertile soil it's not as stressed this is one of the reasons that organic produce has more vitamins mm-hmm. it's stressed it's far more stressed now that's not necessarily true of the let's call it commercial organic that you get have you ever been in the Central Valley in California where most of your organic produce is grown So first they go out and they plow hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of acres and then they lay down black plastic irrigation pipe and then they completely cover all of these hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of acres with black plastic and then they run the tractor over it and the tractor punches a hole in the plastic pushing that piece of plastic down into the soil to plant the plants. This is organic Mm -hmm. cultivation because herbicides and pesticides can't be used so we have to cover the earth in black plastic. Not exactly what most of you are envisioning when you envision organic produce. Huh? No but you know and of course if you have a CSA or you grow your own you're not doing that but I'm talking about if you're going to go out to a big store and there's a lot of big health stores selling organic produce this is commercial organic right and it's most of what is sold. So Again, we, we are losing in many ways terror and we're also turning back to our own gardens and our own homes and local places and beginning to un- re-understand what that is. Now, my apprentice group in Germany took this to rather an extreme when I suggested that we have lentils and they said, we cannot eat lentils, lentils do not grow in our valley. And I said, but they grow in the next valley over. They said, well, that's the next valley over. We don't eat that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's
0: a 100 mile diet, but
1: wow, right? Right. <laughs> Just a little flexibility, ladies, would be good. <laughs> aye, aye, aye. So the whole idea about herb-drug interaction um, it is pretty crude when we start to understand how sophisticated we can be and herbs can be. <clears throat> this is the best-selling book, The A to Z Guide to Drug-Herb-Vitamin Interactions. Millions of copies of this book have been sold. I found it rather fascinating that the first two hundred and ninety pages of this book are about drug drug interactions. Drug herb interactions go from page two hundred and ninety to page (laughs) three (laughs) hundred. So right away we know something, right? Right, right right away we know, whoa, right, <laughs> you take two drugs together, you're risking it and what's the average amount of drugs that most Americans are taking right now? Mm. Five to seven drugs, the average amount is about six. Polypharmacy is the name of the game there. And so you better have a book like this that has 300 pages that tells you which ones you shouldn't take together and or ask your pharmacist because your doctor is not paying attention. And That that we can guarantee, not because they don't want to, but because the insurance company is forcing them to work far faster than they ever could possibly work. This summer I learned... Yet one more devastation that MDs have to face. And that is that if your primary care physician says, you know, you should have a mammogram, and you say no, then that person's base rate of pay goes down. Because they get a certain number of points for everyone who goes for a mammogram. And they are paid based on the number of points they accumulate. So you're saying no directly impacts their income. And so they're going to fight you. They're going to fight you really hard because it's a lot more important to them than you would know. And I'm like, tell me this is not true. And there are a lot of healthcare professionals there who said, it's true. It's true. I lost this much money last year over women refusing. Wow. All right. So... Let's see. Alfalfa, at the time of writing, there are no well known drug interactions with alfalfa. American ginseng, at the time of writing, there are no well known drug interactions with American ginseng. American skullcap, at the time of writing, there are no well known drug interactions with American skullcap. Anise, at the time of writing, there are no well known drug interactions with anise. Artichoke, at the time of writing, there are no well known drug interactions with artichoke. Ashwagandha, at the time of writing. The vast majority of this says. Yeah? Right? No well known drugs. Am am I making this up?
3: No. No. Wow.
1: Right? (laughs) Like out of a page, there's two that have any interactions at all. So we got 10 pages, and we got 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 16, 18, 20 herbs on a page, and only two of them interact. It's
0: not a very big book.
1: Wow. Three hundred pages, right? Three hundred pages, and this is only the, the drugs the herbs is only ten pages of it. And most of it is doesn't interact with anything.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And when it does say that it interacts with things, right, Asian ginseng interacts with the influenza virus vaccine and with warfarin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I personally know dozens of men who are taking blood thinners and drinking nourishing herbal infusions and taking ginseng. And I am not seeing any drug interactions. Is anybody else in the situation? Where, Where you know that people are on blood thinners? And as a matter of fact... Um, because we've been doing a little push back, uh, we're actually finding cardiologists now who say, you know, you're on a blood thinner, but you want to eat cooked greens, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Because they used to say, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. And, now, and now they're, you know, they're rel- relenting, because they see that it, that it didn't really react at all. So, as I said, you know, to me this is an exploratory class, and I'm very curious if anybody here has seen any interactions and you'd like to talk about those or talk about interactions that you're especially worried about. Grapefruit. Grapefruit, Grapefruit, yeah. Can
3: often be, uh, I guess, make some particular drugs more potent. That's what I've heard.
1: And what does that mean it makes the drug more potent?
3: Um, well since they give the same dose to everybody <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: then,
3: um, then for some people they have more of, of that drug which
1: might stop. in other words grapefruit might slow down your liver's ability mm-hmm. to get rid of the drug mm-hmm. and so the drug would be active in your body for longer than they think and then when you take the next dose you might actually be doubling up over that gap where they would think there would be a gap that it would be gone from your body before you take the next dose and yet you have that it's not, so it's there so now you have an amount of drug in your body that could oops, harm you so I guess the best thing to do is avoid rip bridges This is what they tell us, right? Right. Right? And again, the answer is always going to be take the drug and leave the food of the herb alone. And I am very strongly suggesting that we reject this advice. Mm -hmm. That we we say, wow, really? Grapefruit is going to keep this drug in my body longer. Let me see how I can use that. They're actually, interestingly enough, a few herb drug interactions where the herb protects you against the side effect of the drug and I would like to see us do a lot more in finding these does anybody have um, one of the galley copies of Abundantly Well with them I'm sorry I, I, There are galley copies of, uh, my, of, uh, of Abundantly Well and I, I know a couple of... Do you have it with you? She might. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. Dong, dong, dong. I was able to find some of those. Pharmaceuticals kill. It's true. Are herbs drugs? Isomers. Food drugs. Mm. Bad food drugs. Food drugs. Vitamins. Drug-drug interactions. Prescribed drugs interact with Everything including other prescribed drugs and over-the-counter drugs. Foods, be sure to ask your pharmacist. Drug-food interactions. Seven to eight ounces of grapefruit juice um, have been shown to have adverse interactions with 85 common drugs. Now, again, you have to ask yourself, what are those adverse interactions? And what that means is that the drug is not acting the way they think it should. Mm -hmm. And so, again, when you're reading something like that, be really slow down and say to yourself, what am I being told here and what's my reaction to this? All right. And then, of course, the kind of new thing on the block, although the original book on it has been out for over 10 years now, is... (gasps) Wow, did you know that prescribed drugs interfere with nutrient uptake? Mm. Yeah, and they have all along. But this information is starting to come out more and more and more. And I just listed the drugs that reduce vitamin B12 levels. Because to me, vitamin B12 is a really critical vitamin, huh? Where do you get vitamin B12? Animal products, any animal products—meat, fish, milk, cheese, eggs—any animal product. So, if you are not eating animal products, what vitamin are you not getting? B12. B12. It is not really available from vegetative sources. You will read books that say it's, but it's not really—not even fermented food. Um, and what happens if you don't have enough B12? You start Tremors and your brain does not work. As a matter of fact, it's one of the very first things. If somebody says to me, "Oh, my mom's been diagnosed with dementia," I say, "Have her tested for B12. Have her tested for B12 deficiency." That happened to your mom? Yep. Yep. And you had her tested, Anne?
3: Um, we started giving her supplements. Anne? And she still has dementia,
1: but we're working with. But it's better. Right. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes it's not dementia at all. Sometimes it's simply lack of vitamin B12. Well, they can't absorb
3: it. My
1: daughter
3: can't absorb it naturally. And then she looked like she was crazy and depressed. Mm-hmm. And immediately, just giving her some... But she can't, her body
1: doesn't absorb. So that was a And as we age, it becomes we becomes more difficult for us to absorb it. Yeah. So it's really critical vitamin. And um, methotrexate. Mm-hmm. Right? Colchinine. Metformin. Anybody in the country taking metformin? All right. Anti-seizure drugs like Dilantin, cholesterol-lowering drugs that are non-statin, PPIs. What are PPIs? Proton pump inhibitors, right? Like Prevacid, right? And H2 blockers like Zantac. All prevent you from absorbing vitamin B12, even if you have adequate amount in your diet. Uh. So this is just one nutrient, as I said. There are books now, right, that will t- tell you which nutrients each drug, right? And uh, I believe that there is some of that in here as well ex- because it's expanded. <laughs> right, so they've expanded it. Um, to include the nutrients that the drugs are absorbing uh, or interfering with. Okay, antihypertensive drugs help antihypertensive drugs is my experience. Who's had an occasion to work with anybody including yourself who used antihypertensive herbs like hawthorn or motherwort or passiflora along with an antihypertensive drug? Please do. Because it's one of the best ways to get people off drugs. Mm-hmm. I
2: specifically asked my dad has had six heart attacks and he has 16 stents. And I'm studying herbal medicine, so I don't feel quite that confident to jump into a cardiologist. at Swedish, but I looked it up and I printed out a bunch of PubMed studies. And I said, bring this and just see what they said. And they said, if you had asked me, you know, four heart attacks, go, I'd say go for it, but don't touch it.
1: Like, mm-hmm. if you'd ask me when four months Four heart attacks you oh, right. knew in this
2: game I would talk to you about it but I wouldn't do anything because it's too much of a risk
1: a risk for what
2: interaction no. but that didn't make sense to me either
1: it's right interactions so I say oh should he avoid applesauce <laughs> I said, well oh, no I said, well Hawthorne is yeah. an apple so if he can eat applesauce, then I think Hawthorne's going to be perfectly safe. Right? And that's what I do, is I refer it back to food. Right? And I say, oh, is this, is this food unsafe for this person? This person's taking antihypertensive medicine. Is applesauce unsafe for them? Well, no, of course not. Oh, good. Well, then Hawthorne will be perfectly safe. So that we begin to relate it more to the food side than to the drug side. Because within the span of those 10,000 herbs, my primary focus is on the plants that are nourishing, tonifying, not the plants that are going to be made into drugs. The first time I tasted golden seal, I knew that there would never be a second time. I understood at a basic biological level that I was being poisoned and that I would not willingly ever poison myself with golden seal. In over 50 years of working as an herbalist, I have used golden seal exactly once, and that was externally for someone who was flayed in a car accident and the skin from about the middle of her chest all the way around to her back was just rolled off and of course at the hospital they put antibiotic antibiotic treatment on it and then gauze mm-hmm. And every time they changed the dressing they just ripped off all of the granulation tissue, right? So that by the time she got to me, the wound was deep, right? Instead of just being surface, it was starting to go deep, it was red, it was oozing, there was a foul smell, it was a mess. All right, I said so we just take all of that off and for this once so I'm using golden seal because golden seal forms a second skin and we just powdered it up with golden seal all over all of that surface area. It looked really ugly, mm-hmm. it really does. It looked like she had some kind of like weird you know alligator Frankenstein thing <laughs> on her but that really like jump-started her healing away from what had been done there because we taste the bitter. We said whoa wait that's poison. Right. This is what made me because everybody that I, that I was reading about or learning from at that point, that was the anti infective, Golden Seal. Somebody has cold, you give them Golden Seal. Somebody has a flu, you give them Golden Seal. Somebody has a, an infection, you give them Golden Seal. I'm like, not. Not giving them Golden Seal. I have to find something else. They kept going back and back and back in the herbals, especially in the United States, and I finally and got to the herbalists who called themselves the heroic herbalists. I didn't make it up. They did. And they were using a plant that grew in Kansas that had purple petals and a black center. (laughs) And I said, oh, how interesting. An anti-infective that grows in the prairie instead of the forest because one of the things that I have learned from the plants is that one of the ways that they talk to us is by proximity Mm -hmm. plants that would like to be used are going to grow close to me plants that do not want to be used are going to go hide in the forest Mm -hmm. so you go for a walk in the forest, how many golden seal plants do you stumble over? where do you see ethyonacea growing? all over now, right? Every public library, every church, I mean, you know, <laughs> it's one of the most commonly cultivated flowers in America. Most people don't even know it's medicine. All right? so we really see a difference there in how those plants relate to us and how we can relate to those plants and and it was a really ugly name that they used to call it back 150 years ago I won't even say what ugly name it is you can look it up and uh, and so I decided we would just bite the bullet and call it by its botanical name Echinacea and it's done very well by itself. (laughs) Uh, Drinking a tea a fennel seed or raspberry leaf uh, when you take acetaminophen counters pain longer. In other words, it makes the pain killing effect of the acetaminophen, it extends it and it prevents or interferes with the formation of a metabolite that can injure your kidneys or liver.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow! So how's that for an herb drug interaction? No. Right? Fennel-CT. Right? You, you, you need to take some acetaminophen mm-hmm. and drink it with a cup of fennel-CT. How easy is that? Mm -hmm. Wow. Eating blueberries or taking ginseng makes radiation therapy more effective while protecting normal cells. Mm -hmm. These are the kinds of herb interactions I'm looking for, aren't you? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Yeah. Daily use of ginkgo biloba plus aspirin is associated with less cognitive decline and improved executive functioning following stroke compared to those who took aspirin alone. And yet book after book after book will tell you not to take ginkgo if you're taking aspirin. All right? And why are you supposed to stop taking ginkgo or hypericum or any of those things before surgery? Because there's the Idea that it makes you bleed. What study have you seen that shows that it makes people bleed? There are none. There, this, there is no basis for the belief that herbs make you bleed during surgery. Hmm. In fact, as we all know, there are great, really great herbs that can stop bleeding. Hmm. I do not like. Anesthesia. I prefer to experience life, and I, you know, this causes run-ins with my dentists, who are, you know, so soft-hearted they can't bear to pain anyone. But they, you can stick a big needle in your mouth, but they don't want to hurt you. Right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, and there was a cavity below the gun line in my tooth and so my oral surgeon said okay well you're going to use anesthesia for this I said no he says but I'm going to put some novocaine in your I said no you're not no the answer is no we're not going to do that and he's like you know turning white and he's saying I know so I said okay so first of all you're going to take a little mother warts so you can calm down laughter <Right. laughs> then we're going to put yarrow tincture all over that area because yarrow is a very powerful antibacterial it will completely prevent infection and it's a primary astringent it's going to really astringe that tissue contract that tissue really hard and it's a hemostatic it prevents bleeding so and here's the, the here's the bottle of yarrow tincture you need any more while you're doing the surgery you go right ahead and use it it's absolutely fine you can't use too much and he did indeed cut my gum, go in there, fill the cavity, sew it back up again, and at the end of it he said to me, You know, you bled less than anybody I've ever worked on. What was that herb? <laughs> uh, and we have more and more dentists, you know. What was that herb? Mm-hmm. Because we're taking Nero into the dental offices and saying, Look, it's better. It's better than anything you have, and it's hundreds and hundreds of years old, and it's always been used to help with oral health. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. What about
3: our young girls when they're on birth control and the uh, hypericum? I mean, what do I say to somebody? They're going to get pregnant or not? I mean, I
1: don't know. Are you giving them hypericum pills? I. They won't use. They won't Are you giving them? Would you? Would you give them hypericum pills? No. No. Okay. And why, why, why would they use hypericum oil or hypericum tincture? Why would you recommend it to them? For
3: pain. I'm sorry? For pain? Mm-hmm. Or treatments? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I guess what I'm asking is they avoid anything that has hypericum because they.
1: What do you mean anything? Anything that I could have hypericum in. One of my t- what things have hypericum in it? I don't understand what you're saying. Well, I We're not going to use it dried, so it's not going to be in a tea blend. No, but
3: they have a misconception that their daughter might get pregnant
1: if, if. they are birth control pills. Control so-, so you mix up a bunch of herbs together. Is that what you're saying? Right. Oh, okay. Well, don't do that. Okay. <laughs> Stop doing that. Because well, <laughs> it's, it, it's confusing to people, and it makes them into children who can't take care of themselves. when we use herbs as simples then we are gifting other people with their birthright which is herbal medicine whether they ever go out and identify that plant, harvest it and make it themselves, they know they can and that gives them a greater power when we mix up a formula for them we've turned them into our kids and they have to keep coming back to mommy we're not empowering them. I want empowered people. I want people who say, well, look at that. There's plantain right there. I just got stung by a bee. I don't have to go get this salve with seven plants in it. I can grab a plantain leaf, chew it up, and put it on the bee sting. Okay, I was trying to ask if, if
3: there was a way if it's not proven that the kids will get pregnant if they have hypericum. Because that's the fear, right?
1: I understand. And it's... Fear is a kind of individual thing. Mm-hmm. So, let me see if I can give you the answer that you're looking for. If you have a remedy in which you have mixed hypericum tincture in with how many other plants? Two, three, four? Yeah. More? I put in several. Plants. Seven? Seven.
2: Could be.
1: Okay, let's let's say eight, because okay. it's a nice round number. <laughs> okay, so you have eight plants mixed together, and it, the a dose of this mixed tincture is how much? Two droppers.
3: Two,
1: Two dropperfuls. Okay, so each dropperful contains how much hypericum tincture? One eighth. Right. Right. About. right? Hardly enough to be effective. Hardly enough to do anything at all. So that's what I would say is you can take this and not worry because the hypericum in here is at such a low level it can't do anything.
3: Okay. That's, I guess, what I'm
1: that's what I'm saying. Okay. It's so little that, it, that it's like it's not even there. And this is again another reason why I don't combine herbs. Mm-hmm. Because suppose your remedy works. What a drag. There may be only one or two herbs in there that are really being effective for that person, but they don't know which two, one or two they are. Whereas if they had used Hypericum and said, whoa, this really relieves my muscle pain, now they have something that's available to them. Or if they say, I use this and it didn't, or I don't want to use this because I'm taking birth control pills and it worries me, then we have the other individual herbs That they can use because yes hypericum could be said to relieve muscle pain but it's a kind of specific situation and I think of it more as muscle exhaustion because what hypericum does is it changes how the muscle relates to lactic acid. So if you are being vigorous and you take hypericum, then lactic acid is prevented from building up in the muscle and you get no muscle pain. So people who run marathons will seed their water bottle with hypericum tincture about the amount, given how much they know they're going to drink, so that they get about a dropper full every 30 minutes or so of hypericum. And it prevents charley horses during the race and it prevents muscle pain and exhaustion after the race. It can also help the muscle release the lactic acid if taken afterwards, but it's far more effective as a preventative. So it, it wouldn't be, you know, and if somebody had muscle pain and they didn't want to take hypericum tincture, I would say give hypericum oil a try. It's external, it's not going to interfere with anything. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, any of the other things. As an herbalist, I often feel like I was the kid who came to first grade with the box of 72 crayons and the built-in (laughs) sharpener. I got a lot of choices, right? (laughs) Right. And by using simples, I have all those choices. When I mix them together, I don't have choices anymore. How are we doing on time? Ten
3: minutes
1: minutes, okay? <laughs> okay. What haven't we talked about that you were hoping we were going to talk about? Yes.
3: Well, so I see everywhere. Do not take this herb if pregnant or breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. 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 I talked to a taxologist a couple years ago, and I was asking him mm-hmm. why... Can pregnant women not consume herbs? And I said, because everything I am hearing is that they are, you know, it can cause problems, it can cause problems with the unborn child, blah, blah, blah. So he says, wait a minute. And he comes back with this very pregnant woman who was his wife. And he said, we're having our second child and my wife has used... Herbs throughout both her pregnancies without a hitch. It's what they're putting out there and what they want you to think about herbs because.
1: Because herbs are obviously far more dangerous than drugs. Yes. Right? Are we really going to believe this? Are we really going to believe that herbs are more dangerous than drugs? Are we really going to believe that herbs can't be used while we're pregnant and lactating? Are we really going to believe that we can't use herbs at the same time that we're using drugs to help people segue off of the drugs and onto the herbs? No! Let's not believe these things because they don't have any foundation or basis in fact. The reason it says pregnant and lactating women should not use this is because they don't want to be sued. It's as simple as that. They're not saying we have seen terrible things happen to laboratory animals who use this herbal. They were No, because they don't. Because there aren't any studies like that. No, it is simply a matter of we're going to just put this stopgap here so that if you do use it while you're pregnant or lactating and something happens, we're, we, we told you not to. We already told you not to do this and you disregarded us. You know? And people say to me all the time, comfrey, oh, comfrey is really dangerous. I said, look, when my daughter was pregnant, I, with my encouragement, she drank lots of comfrey because it makes your tissues stronger and more flexible. Right, ladies in their 40s who are getting pregnant for the first time, comfrey is absolutely the goddess incarnate for them. Because those tissues are older and stiffer. They don't stretch and flex like they did when you're 20. Right? And comfrey restores that so that they're able to have easy vaginal births without tears. Right? Were there two neonatal deaths ascribed to comfrey? There were in England and they probably were due to comfrey. One was a woman who took dried comfrey root in capsules. Mm -hmm. Ten capsules a day for the last six weeks of her pregnancy and her baby was born unable to clear bilirubin which is a very important first task, right? <laughs> and it died. And it probably couldn't clear Billy Rubin because the comfrey root, pyrolysidine, alkaloids, had messed up the baby's liver. It's pretty easy to, like, grok what was going on there, right? But we're back to where we started. Herbs, powdered and in capsules, are drugs. They're not herbal medicine anymore. They're now drugs. All right? ephedra kills when it's powdered and put in a capsule. Right? And so can comfrey root. The other woman did not use powdered urban capsule. She took comfrey root and she decocted it for 10 hours. She boiled this comfrey root for 10 hours and then she drank that decoction by the cup daily throughout the last three months of her pregnancy. Her baby survived for two weeks before its liver failed. Again, I think this is pretty clearly comfrey. I don't think we're making a mistake here. I think it was comfrey, but I'm not suggesting that you take comfrey root, or that you take it dried in capsules, or that you decoct it. I'm suggesting that you make a comfrey leaf infusion, mm-hmm. and these both of these were in England where Symphytum officinale grows wild, mm-hmm. and so it was probably Symphytum officinale. Whereas here in the United States, we don't have Symphytum officinale, although. Uh, I'm just terrorized that I see people selling the seeds which I wish would not be going on. What we have are the garden varieties of comfrey which were created by Henry Doubleday to be free of mm-hmm. uh, So, I, And I know thousands, probably tens of thousands at this point of pregnant women who have used comfrey leaf during their pregnancy and lactation again with no problems at all and have used all the nourishing herbal infusions. So one of the things that I do in in my mind and in my books is I roughly divide herbs into four categories. Nourishing herbs, tonifying herbs, stimulating sedating herbs, and potentially poisonous herbs. Nourishing herbs, we're talking about stinging nettle, we're talking about a straw, we're talking about linden, we're talking about... B- Herbs that can be used in any quantity and they are food-like and they can be interfaced with any drug with no problems. Mm -hmm. Then we have tonifying herbs. Tonifying herbs have a little more oomph. We're talking burdock root, right, and dandelion root and yellow dock root, right, and adaptogens are tonic herbs. But we're still talking herbs that can be used daily, in almost any quantity, and interfaced with any drug. And nourishing herbs are going to improve your health, and eventually you'll stop taking the drug because your health is so improved. And tonifying herbs are going to improve your health, right? And, ev- and you can take them with drugs, and eventually you'll stop taking the drug. When we start to say, oh, we can have some gotta look at this here, is when we start to get into stimulating and sedating herbs. So, this is why the first one here in this list is ginseng, a stimulating herb. Now it's also considered an adaptogen, but it is considered a stimulant. Right? And I suspect that if you were to actually go back, track all the way back to the scientific studies that they're citing, that all of them would be powdered herb in capsule. So when you're using a stimulant herb, and you do generally do not want to use a stimulant drug at the same time. If you're using a sedating herb, you generally would not want to use a, you wouldn't want to take valerian and a sleeping pill. Right? Not because you would never wake up, but because we don't really know exactly what's going to happen. So we don't want to double up, and especially with the potentially poisonous herbs like golden seal. We want to be very careful there because now we are working with things that are very drug-like. So ask yourself what herbs you're using for yourself, what herbs you're using in your practice, if you're practicing, um, and how you can use herbs with drugs to stop the use of drugs. This is our goal, is to step away from the pharmaceuticals and toward that end, would you just open the book to one of those double page spreads? This is also in the drug section and in the drug section there's double page spreads on antihypertensive alternatives and and, so I love these Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and I hope these get copied and used a lot. Antibiotic alternatives, antibiotic drugs. Mm Every single one of these can be used with these drugs. Sedatives, tranquilizers, sleepy alternatives, sedatives, tranquilizers, and sleepy drugs. And these can be interfaced with these. We're talking about skullcap, passionflower, lemon balm, catnip. Pain relief alternatives, pain relief drugs. So I've got this set up for you when it comes out. So that you can easily combine your herbs and your drugs again with the goal of moving away from using the drugs this is not out yet this is abundantly well right? and these are galley copies and they're kind of circulating here this weekend so mm-hmm. if you find somebody with one say are you done with it I want to look at it <laughs> and, uh, um, and um, the, I'm just finishing the index and it'll be six to eight weeks um, after I'm done with the index, that the book will actually be for sale. I have pre-order forms, um, but I'm very excited about this. There's a lot of really great information. Um,
4: so what would be a good approach uh, to reduce the level of the fear factor? When the client comes to see you, they mm-hmm. say, well, we're we'll taking 10 different drugs, and you want to introduce some mm-hmm. herbs. For instance, I heard the slippery almond marshmallow mm-hmm. reduce the absorption of the drugs So how can we approach that to that? Condition? to do something that might
1: help them. Again, it's very individual. You have to know what is it that the person is afraid of. It, there's not like one answer that's going to fit everybody, but again, what I find eases most people as they say, well, you know, I'm taking this drug. I don't know if I can drink nettle infusion. I say, are you allowed to eat spinach? Well, yes. Nettle is a kind of spinach, I say. So if you can eat spinach, you're safe drinking nettle. Just like I said, can you eat applesauce? Okay, you're safe eating applesauce. Hawthorne is the kind of apple. You can use hawthorne as safely as eating applesauce. So use those herbs that are most food-like. Can you eat oatmeal? Yes. Okay, then oat straw infusion will be safe for you while you're taking this drug. All right. And so they also get the sense that you're thinking about it and then giving them a reasoned answer. You're not just saying something that you say to everybody but you're individualizing it for them, which of course is what we want to do, right? Even even if you already know the answer, which is drink your nourishing herbal infusions.
0: <laughs> Spirit of the plant says come to me in the form of a beautiful dancing green woman. Spirit of the plant says come to me in the form of a beautiful dancing green woman. Her dance fills me with peace. Her eyes fill me with
1: peace. Her dance fills me with peace. Thank you for coming on this exploratory journey with me today.
3: Much. So nice. you. oh. The goddess spoke through you while you were speaking. I could see your picture you <laughs> with you and Let's
1: <laughs> get a picture. Yeah. Where's your daughter?
3: Oh, thank you so dear heart.
1: <laughs> I really felt your support over there. It
3: was great. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. No, you're gonna be in it. Oh. <laughs> Hi. Hi, nice nice daughter. To meet you. Thank you very oh, you're so much. You're
1: welcome. <laughs> Let's selfie it up here. All right. We're going to do a selfie? We're going to do a selfie, sure. come on. Oh, all right. We got so a photographer. <laughs> so we're just
3: going to press yeah. right there. Okay.
1: Um, you, can press you have to, yeah, there yeah.
3: yeah, you go. okay? Oh, yeah. Okay. 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 Let me take off
1: my glasses. There you go. Oh. <laughs> Now, like, like do more. do one that that just shows our faces. Yeah, <laughs> get, get a lot closer and just show faces there you go. All thank right, you. Thank, you. Thank, you,
0: thank you. Oh, mm. treat. Yes.
3: So I'd have an herb store in Phoenix.
1: Yes, you told me. Yes. I have one.
0: Sue,
3: right? Yes. Yes. Good. Okay. um, I get people coming in all the time. And I used to work part-time in a pharmacy for one year. Right. Okay. So what I tell people Mm -hmm. is if those pharmaceuticals worked, if they worked for what your issue is, why do you have to go back? Or, as someone, or
1: as someone said, this is not prescription medicine, this is subscription medicine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, whoa, ain't that yeah, true? I take a picture with my dear. Hey, idea. let's get a picture. Yeah. We have a photographer. Yes, oh, wow, photographer. you're good. <laughs>
4: Every year I have Every more, year. Right? <laughs> Thank right. you so Thank much. Thank you, Sue. So. Appreciate it. Thanks for sharing your knowledge with us. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I mean enough already. <laughs> enough already. Come on, just just just, just get a grip and, and, right. and, and go for it, gang. Go yeah. just do the herbs and the drugs together and That's stop right. being scared.
4: Exactly. Uh, I didn't
1: know.
4: So my sister, sorry for instance. A day taller she's she's supposed to be dying like last year. And uh, she's dealing with a Latina for seven years. Every time I go to San Diego, I carry a lot of mushrooms out of my whatever. And she uh, kept telling me, a doctor, a couple of them said, do not have any herb. I said, sister. Listen to your body and the result is she's okay so far. That's right. Who knows tomorrow about.
1: that's right. Who knows tomorrow. And again the reason they say don't serve is because the insurance companies Correct. make them say that. It's not we're not talking about, you know, some study they've seen.
4: In general it's safe
1: then to In general let's assume safety. Okay. Yeah. Right? So long as we're not using powdered herbs and capsules. Yeah. yeah. Because it's almost like, and I was thinking about what you said in that regard. When when you have them in pills and yeah. capsules, it's very concentrated, whereas if you take it as a tincture, it's almost right. like a homeopathic. That's right. Not at all. Well, exactly the seem... opposite. There's a tiny amount of herb in that capsule. Tiny amount of herb in that capsule. So it's whatever. 50 capsules is one ounce of nettle. I use one ounce of nettle to make a nourishing herbal infusion, which is drunk in one day. Tiny amount of herb in the capsule. It has nothing to do with the concentration. It has to do with the fact that the liver is going to focus on the poisons first and sequester those so that it can get rid of them and that causes damage. So you don't actually get the synergistic effect that we want from the herbs. A tincture can be made into a homeopathic remedy. However, homeopathy is based on the belief that if there is a single atom of the herb left in the remedy, it will not be effective. So you must completely remove all plant matter, and you do that by dilution and percussion. Right? right? So you take your tincture, you dilute it, and then you, as I said, only a man can come up with a healing remedy in which, to make it effective, you have to beat it up repeatedly. Okay, so a tincture is not a homeopathic remedy at all. It's a long, long, long way from a homeopathic remedy. Right? 10x is the lowest, so that's been done 10 times. And most homeopathic remedies are 100x, 200x. I use homeopathic remedies at 1m, a million dilutions. Because I deal with a lot of people who are really sensitive, right? And the capsules also be oxygenated, right?
4: When they go through the whole process, and that's losing
1: yeah. So, no. It's not that the capsules are more concentrated. It's actually less concentrated. Capsules are the most dangerous, most expensive, and least effective way yeah. to use herbs. So.
3: The other thing I wanted to ask you
1: was... I, I studied Chinese herbal medicine, and a lot of times we don't we don't do single herbs. We do at least four, but oftentimes there can be up to 20 herbs. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because
3: um, when we're taught, they say... If you need more than four herbs, then you don't know what you're doing. And yet...
1: If you need more than one herb, you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> it's really where it's at. Now, i tell you a story about this. It was at an herb conference. They don't do this anymore because, really, it was kind of cruel. But they used to have, like, case studies, and they'd have somebody come in with a problem, and then they'd have four herbalists tell this person what to do which I, you know, I joked about you all being confused, but imagine having four different people tell you what to do. is trouble. terrible. <laughs> so they, the last one that I participated in, they brought in this woman. If anything could be wrong with the human body, it was wrong with her. Top to toe. She was brought in in a wheelchair. And the first wonderful male herbalist said, well, for our cardiovascular system, this, for her nervous system, this, for her respiratory system, this, for her hormonal system, this, you know, blah, 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 And by the end, I don't know, maybe 40 herbs. But he recommended. And then the next very well-respected male herbalist said, well I think that, that that's pretty good what you said but you didn't talk about this thing that's going wrong with her and you didn't talk about this thing and so I would use these herbs and then I would use these herbs and he like brought the total up to about 60 herbs that she should be taking. And then the next very excellent male herbalist said, well that's really good but you said that's really good what you said but you know you aren't dealing with this and you aren't dealing with this and he got the total up to close to 100 herbs which we take.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> And it's my turn and I looked at her and I said you know everything that's bothering you is inflammation every single thing that's bothering you is really about inflammation and my favorite anti-inflammatory is linden and what I'd like you to do is drink linden infusion now one of those herbalists does Chinese medicine and he does pulse diagnosis. And so, as the group was breaking up, he said, Can you stay? I said, Yeah. He said, Can you stay for a minute? He said, yeah. And he did a pulse diagnosis on her. And then he wrote the word linden on a piece of paper and had her hold it. And he did another pulse diagnosis and he looked at me and he said, So we
3: have an
1: hour? You're right. He said, That's it. This is every single thing normalized. And all she was doing was holding the word Linden. <laughs> <laughs> she hadn't even taken it yet. <laughs> 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 oh, you're recording it, right? If you know what you're doing, you will know what one herb will do it.